if we're going in and looking at a new house, or, especially if it's a mold sensitized person, we're not looking for mold. What we're looking for are other things like bubbling and paint, any sort of water damage, any discoloration, anything like that. Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. I have on the podcast today, Mike Fisher. He is the owner of 24-Hour Flood Response. He is a expert mold remediator, and he has the cutest dog named Chap, who is actually a mold detection dog. And what's interesting was how I came to find them was I was talking about mold on my stories. And I think your wife reached out to me and was like, hey, you should check out Chap. I immediately like it was one of those things where I saw the stories and I was like, I need to reach out to you guys immediately to let people know that you are a resource, right? And I think what I was talking about was there was this podcast by Diary of a CEO, who interviewed Dr. Daniel Amen and Dr. Amen. And I've shared this in the podcast and I'm going to share it again because it's just so fascinating. Everyone who is concerned about brain health and brain wellness should listen to this or anyone that has dealt with like Epstein-Barr or Lyme or long COVID should listen to this episode and be fully aware of how illness and infection can affect your brain function. But what he was saying was the interviewer asked Dr. Amen, what is the worst brain scan you've ever seen? And he shares the story of a 15 year old boy who was kicked out of school, shot his parents, and then went to the school the next day and shot 24 students. And when a court case came around, they asked Dr. Amen to do a brain scan of his brain. And he said like his brain was so atrophied and deteriorated not like no wonder he did these acts, but this right. wasn't a healthy brain. Like this brain was extremely sick. And then the interviewer asked what would cause a brain to be that sick? And he said a few things. He said apoxia, so lack of oxygen during birth that could damage the brain or infections and viruses or mold exposure. And he mentions mold exposure quite a bit throughout this episode and just realizing how bad mold exposure is for the brain. And if you have been listening to podcasts, we talk a lot about Lyme. We deal with a lot of Lyme people and a lot of people with Epstein-Barr where these viruses and these bacteria attack the nervous system and create inflammation that damages the brain. You literally have micro brain damage, kind of akin to concussion syndrome. Same thing with long COVID. Like you get long COVID, triggers an immune response, allows dormant viruses like Epstein-Barr and cytomegalovirus to wake up and literally damage your central nervous system. Now we can deal with these infections. We can deal with mold. We can get rid of these viruses and bacteria and mycotoxins that damage the brain. But what people are not understanding is the damage is now there. So you can have these things out of your body, but you have to rehab your brain. And that's through therapies like neurofeedback, which is what we do at the clinic. That's through yeah. hyperbaric oxygen therapy. That's through exercise. That's through tons of different neurotherapies to rehabilitate a brain that used to be sick and damaged. Anyways, this is an 
isn't about the brain. This episode today is about mold. And we want to deep dive mold because like I said, Dr. Amen is a huge advocate of getting out of mold, but also that I loved hearing that he was actually very mold literate because it's not just mold, it's the mycotoxin. It's the byproduct of mold that is literally, it's like chemical warfare in your body. Is that correct, Mike? Yeah. Some bodies, a lot of bodies that don't have the ability to just go through and then bind those up and then get them out. And I have so many clients that would feel the same with you mentioned the guy, the damage it caused their brain. Sometimes we meet a client that we meet them for the first time and they're in this state, their brain is in a state where they just can't handle the next steps, which is hiring us to come in and clean up the environment. And so they're constantly getting this dose of mycotoxins or of just the problem that's causing their bodies to react like they are. And so a lot of times we'll meet someone and then we won't even get started on remediation or even trying to discover where the problem is for months later. And it's because they're just, their brains have just, we talk a lot about brain fog. Some people say it's like they're uh, zombie-like, you know, they just feel zombie-like. They just don't feel like they can do these, you know, make the big decisions. They're in a position where they can't make decisions and they can't kind of make, make that next step. So tons of brain fog. Now, Mike, tell me a little bit before we go into the nitty gritty details on mold and like how it manifests in the body and proper ways to remediate and what people should be looking for. Tell me about how you got into this realm. You know, I've had a flood remediation company for 23, 22 years now, coming on 23 years. And as a byproduct of being a flood remediation company, we run into a lot of houses that have already flooded before. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, it comes in, they have another flood and now we have mold. And so initially we were just kind of running through, you know, most people, the standard most people know is the S500, or it's the S520 put out IICRC. And then what we started getting and was we started getting these clients that had had mold sensitivities about 15 years ago. And it wasn't really as treated or as known, but we knew what these clients were going through because they were just kind of walking us through what they had seen and felt and lived. And we could come in and clean up an area. And then they say, okay, that room I feel great in. And then they'd go down to their basement and say, you know, I just can't, I feel something's here. And so we just kind of a lot of trial and error. There was a mold dog in Utah years ago named Duke. And we would call him and say, okay, look, we have done the best we can with the limited knowledge we have to find the mold. Can you bring the dog in? The dog would come in and he'd hit on these areas. We're like, okay, well, then we'd get permission to go through the house and start kind of peeling it back like an onion and seeing those areas that Duke hit on. So we ended up using Duke quite a bit. And finding these these areas that we missed and that were sometimes just not obvious. And so mm-hmm. as those years went on, Duke had retired. We wanted to get a dog. So we had it as a tool. Over those years, we became, we had just a handful of clients that were mold sensitized. They all also, I just actually asked all of them recently if they had Lyme issues. They came back. They all said Lyme issues. Mm-hmm. They talked about just all these different issues with their bodies and So we just started versing ourselves because once you help one, it's like they kind of flock together, whether it's on Facebook groups or they find each other in doctor's offices, like some of our clients have. They kind of flock together and say, hey, you know what? Actually, we got these guys out there. They know what they're doing. They can get rid of everything, not just the mycotoxin or not just the mold. They get rid of the mycotoxins. So we've got these, you know, that's kind of how it started. That's how we got into doing this. And honestly, we have one client that is so sensitive and we've done so much much with her over the years. She moved into a house, which is the worst thing she could do. She moved into a house that had a house fire. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
the fire is one thing, but you got to put the fire out. The fire department comes in, oh, goes down the place, mm-hmm. and then it doesn't get dry all the way, or they miss the places, uh, you know, behind the heat ducts, behind things oh, that a regular dry out. And they said, well, he took all of it down. We felt pretty comfortable with it. But over time, those things start showing their face again. And sometimes that mold gets dry and it just kind of does its thing, their, its life cycle, and then it's not really bothering them. And then it just takes something to wake it up. Moisture, humidity, new moisture. And so we dealt with her on this new house she has. But man, if I were mold sensitive, I would never move into a house that has had a large house fire. So tell listeners the difference between mold and mycotoxin and do all remediation companies understand the difference? Or is this something that you, because we talk about being mold literate and I don't think people understand what that actually means. There's understanding mold and then being mold literate for those hypersensitive people, because I think it's something like 25% of people genetically cannot detox mycotoxin and other people can't detox mycotoxin if they have an overburdened body. So let's say they've had Epstein-Barr, they've been exposed to Lyme, they have root canals that are chronically infected. And so their immune response is just overwhelmed. And now they have to have this added burden of detoxing mycotoxin and their body just can't do it. Right. Tell me about companies that are mold literate and what they look like and what we should be asking and companies that are not. Are they all mold literate? with the mycotoxin or not at all? Yeah, certainly not. I'd even say the training we get doesn't even, like if you go and do the S5 and 520 from the IICRC, it is not going into in-depth on how to clean up mycotoxins. Mm-hmm. It's going in-depth on how to set up containment, how to create negative pressure, how to get rid of the mold, the visible mold you see, even the area that you worked in. But mm-hmm. it's not going into depth on secondary damage. So you've got the primary damage, which is the damage that's happening because it's colony growth, right? It's growing in an area. So we come in and we mitigate those areas. And then you have secondary damage, which is as that mold starts to die, or starts to go dormant or starts to get dry, really, this is where we see it the most is those mold spores then come off the colony and they just go out and try to reproduce, try to live, right? They're saying, okay, we're lacking water, so we're going to move. And so those mold spores go and then they settle on other things. Or if you open up a piece of drywall and it has mold on it, you kind of poof it. Picture like a big field of dandelions mm. and you've got all these little dandelions and picture just having a big windstorm just come in and push that you know or mm-hmm. gust wind that's kind of what you're doing when you're de- when you disturb mold you're just kind of pushing spores and stuff into the into the air what a mycotoxin is it's different than a mold spore a mold spore mold colonies will create mycotoxins it's a chemical so not all molds create mycotoxins and you can have a healthy colony of mold that hasn't created a mycotoxin because it doesn't feel threatened picture it like if i have a nice healthy mold colony here we're just growing we've got everything we need we got food we got water we've got air they like dank they like warm but they can grow outside of that they can grow in the sun in daylight they can grow in the cold And so the, but let's just say we have a nice, healthy mold colony and then something comes in and then threatens it. A new mold spore, something that made things, oh no, this is going to kill us. So what it does is then creates this mycotoxin. And that mycotoxin is exactly that. It's a toxin to kill whatever's coming in to invade, Mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so what we're finding is that a mycotoxin, it's not like pushing it, it normally, I mean, it probably can, but it's not like shooting it out of the air proactively, right? It's kind of covering itself with it. Then when a new mic or when a new mold spore comes and hits that, well, then it's a toxin to that. And then hopefully it just dies and they can't take over that, that colony. 
So mycotoxins are sticky. And so if those mycotoxins, as they get pushed around and get and get sent around the room or the area where you know you're remediating, well, that's not necessarily going to come up with just a nice HEPA vacuum. It's not necessarily going to just come out because you wiped it down with what you normally wipe it down with, right? It's got to have something that's going to actually dislodge that. It's going to take it out and then get rid of it. So, and uh, we're just I- telling you that there are some companies that just use HEPA filters to yeah. like filter out rooms, but you can filter out mold with a HEPA filter, but you can't the mycotoxin. The mycotoxin is too small. Is that correct? Right. So HEPAs, they filter down to really the size of the micron size of a mold spore. Mm-hmm. So other things that go past that that are smaller, like mycotoxins, aren't getting caught. Now, there is some research saying some mycotoxins are getting caught because A, they're lighter, and so they don't, and they're smaller. That uh, HEPA is blowing through. It's getting caught. It's also because they're sticky, right? They're getting caught in that. So sometimes what we'll get is a tactified filter on top of that. So it's a tacky filter that kind of snags some of that. If we can't just blow it out of the house, or if we don't have a good way to blow it out of the house and then have and hope that and make sure that the air that we're bringing in is cleaner than the stuff that's going out. What we find is most people, if they have a super sick house, the mold coming in, because if we're blowing out, something's got to come in, right? Because we're creating a vacuum there. So as we bring that new air in, we've got to just make sure that, you know, if that that's not going to make the problem worse, right? So if we're in an area where there's a ton of trees, there's a river, a lake, you know, something near the house, we got to get that tested to find out if air that's going out is just bringing in bad air and making it worse, right? So it's things like that, that uh, most mitigation companies aren't dealing with. You know, you and I talked briefly when I was at your house looking, and that was, we're dealing with a company out in Lehigh right now. They're not from Lehigh, but they're at a house of a client in Lehigh. And they came in, they said they were certified to do this and they knew what they were doing and they were going to come in and set up containment, which they set up containment. Their containment did fail a little bit, probably because their makeup air wasn't enough. It was just so much negative pressure that it collapsed in on itself, came off of the HEPA. So their containment wasn't great, but they set up that containment. They came in, they removed tiles that mold was under, tiles in a bathroom. They removed some baseboard. And then they set up HEPA filters and they called it good. They said, well, we left those in for, I can't remember, three or four days and it should be fine. And they said, well, we're going to get a test afterwards and we're going to make sure that they got everything. They're like, oh, absolutely. Oh, you have someone that has a dog. Yeah, bring them in. They won't find any mold. Well, the test that had been done before the other company started was a whole lot less than when it was when we came in and tested afterwards, 500 something spores in the air. So there was way more mold exposure. Right. Because again, that that field of dandelions, they just Mm -hmm. opened up these areas with all these spores. They would all go and just somehow magically come off the structure they're on, off the OSB floor, off the two by fours, off some of the drywall they left and run to the filter and get caught there. Wow. makes sense. They didn't wipe down the room. So there's plenty of companies out there that'll tell you they're, they know what they're doing. And, you know, honestly, you got to trust your gut. You can't go off price. I think that's how this one was. It was based on, they looked at 11 companies. We were the first one to go in. And we came back low as far as money. We weren't as high as a lot of them. But then our company only gets things clean and dry. We don't put it back. So we're not there putting back your drywall, your carpet, your pad, things like that. And honestly, we do that intentionally. There's no motivation for us to say, oh, you got to take out this, this, and that. And with the back, with the thought in the back of our head saying, 
well, if we rip out this tile floor, or we rip out this wood floor, we get to put it all back. And here's this financial gain for us. So they came in, they said they did both. They said they were certified. And then they ended up reducing their price and getting it down to a point where the owner said, let's go. But then it made a big mess. Now they're going to end up spending another five to 10 grand cleaning up what was a problem that probably would have been for 2,500 bucks. Right, right. There's something that you brought to my attention as well. I didn't realize how important it was for someone who does remediation to have a third-party tester work. Is that common practice in like mold remediation where you get a third-party tester? Or is that just because of how your ethics work with how you do business? That makes a lot of sense because as a consumer, I would just assume that they're like, oh yeah, we'll do it and then we'll test it afterwards. And I wouldn't think twice about you know the legitimacy and the honesty around that. But to you, you're like, no, it's really important that you get a third-party tester to test your work. Is that common practice? Yeah, that's it should be. It should be. And you know, honestly, you have a lot of people that get angry about having someone who's found the problem do mm-hmm. the mitigation work. Because if they found it, they say, oh yeah, we found it in here. We got to mitigate all this, right? So there's this relationship of, oh yeah, we found the mold, right? That's the thought is we found the mold and now we have to do all this mitigation for it. So there's the thought is that there's some dishonesty and anyone who does remediation and inspection and finds mold that they're dishonest. Mm -hmm. What we found is, and so then at the end, you get what's called a post clearance test, a, a post remediation clearance test. And that is to have someone come in and make sure that it's been taken care of. We've done our job and it's not us doing it. So there's kind of three parts to it. The way most of our clients that we're dealing on the sensitized issues, we're coming in and finding it and doing the remediation. Mm-hmm. And some of them that we're doing on other sides, real estate deals, things like where you're buying a house or selling a house, we're going to come in and be either the assessor or the remediator. Mm-hmm. And that's because there's like, you know, there's different motivations on that. What we're finding with our sensitized in- individuals is this is a team effort, right? We're going to go in there. We know you're sick. They're, most of the time that they're calling us is because they're sick or their doctor has told them they found mycotoxins in their body, mm-hmm. right? And so now it's a different relationship than it is if you're buying or selling a house or if you don't have that, you haven't found that company that you trust, know, and believe in, right? And so uh, most of our clients come from repeat, referral, or they've heard about, about us through someone that knows who we are. So that allows us to come in and just say, okay, this is a tag team effort to get this done. We go in and we offer it. We have other assessors that we can bring in to help us find it. And sometimes we do. And we're there. We kind of walk through it with them and mm-hmm. say, what do you think? I mean, we have, we're have we the only people in Utah and in many states that have a mold detection dog. And so we walk through it with them. We set up the whole plan together. And it's this mutually, this relationship that we're all working towards the same end. But in the end, after we've done the work, after we've done everything, when I have someone else come in, give us a come in. And what that also makes my guys do is if they know another company is coming in or another individual is coming in, that there's no shortcuts to be had, right? So it's do it right the first time. And we also, a lot of the time say, if we fail that test initially and you've paid for a assessor to come in and give us a clearance test, well, we'll pay for the next one if we fail it. And we have failed, I mean, a couple of times, a few times, some of those times have been from not knowing about another source. Mm. Some of those times have been because we missed an area and on a good post-remediation test, 
they're using a white glove and they're going through and checking for dust. Anytime there's dust, you fail the test. They don't even have to make, they don't even have to go and do any sort of testing, right? They don't have to go test it. They just say, oh, you failed, clean the house, right? And then come in and, and then we'll come in and test it. So tell me a little bit about, because there's different ways to test for mold. And I've heard a few other mold experts say they don't like the air test where they suck in air from in the middle of the room. You guys, you observe with your eyes, obviously, and then you use CHAP to help you find areas that are missed by the naked eye. What are the good, better, best practices to check for mold? It's a good question. So when we go, we're going in to find, go through a house and assess a house to see if we can find mold, we use what tools we have available. So my favorite tool, my best tool probably is a flashlight. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's going through and just picking all the sources of water, all potential sources of water and going through and visually inspecting those. Then we go through and use a thermal imaging camera. So that's seeing hots and colds. Is there anything that's active right now that we should be aware of? And we go in and look at that. And then we have moisture meters if we need those. And then we have CHAP, who a lot of the time is just a great resource for things that you just don't think of. The other day we were in a house and they had a uh, CPAP machine right next to their bed. Mm-hmm. The home inspector came in, did a mold test in the air, said, hey, we're high in this bedroom, but we don't know where. We look in the master bed bathroom, there's nothing there. The windows are showing pretty clean. And we started running CHAP through it and he stops at the bed stand, nightstand. And, you know, he's just let, he sits there, he's pointing at it. We're like, what in the world? Can't see anything. So we mark that, we move on, we come back in, we put chap away, come back in and that CPAP machine has drips at night and it had this whole drawer that was, had bloated and had mold in it, but you wouldn't see it because it was such an ornate piece of furniture. So that's some of the things, you know, as far as tools that we use. Air tests in the middle of the room is, in my opinion, some of the most worthless things. Now, on a post-clearance test, if you're clearing, you know, doing a post-clearance test and then air tests are, those are effective in the sense that they're catching what's in the room and what's in that mitigated spot. Are they worthless? Like why? Because I've actually had my house tested with, they suck the air from the room. I wish I'd known earlier (laughs) that they're worthless. I I shouldn't say they're worthless. Let me rephrase that. What an air test is, is a snapshot in time. Picture it like a Mm -hmm. selfie. If I was in your living room at 5 a.m. and I took a sample or I took a picture, right? At 6 a.m., 7 a.m., went through the whole thing, went through the whole day. Every single picture would be different. Mm -hmm. Lighting, because different people are walking around different times of the day. That's what an air test is. It's a selfie of what was happening that second, right? Mm -hmm. Or that five minutes is normally what they're pulling. Sometimes they're pulling 10 minutes of air. And so it's just telling us what was happening in that moment. That moment. Mm-hmm. And so what we're if we're trying to go and find mold that's getting someone sick, we want to put that in confined areas. Like let's say we have some a little bit of water bubbling under a sink and we're like, hmm, I wonder if this has mold. We'll put that air sampler under the cabinet in the, mm-hmm. you know, under the sink. And we're going to take that. Now that's not a bad way to do it. You know, because now we're in this confined area where we're going near where the source is Mm -hmm. and doing it. Not all mold wants to be airborne. Stachybotrys. Stachybotrys is black mold, right? Mm -hmm. And let me just say this while I'm saying this. All molds that are black are not black mold, right? Mm -hmm. So if someone says, we always get the call. Yep, I just moved my couch and I see I've got black mold all over. I've got the black mold and I'm so concerned because black mold, this and that. Not all uh, molds that are black are black mold, are stachybotrys. Mm -hmm. And so... It's uh, stachybotrys is heavier and stickier. It doesn't really want to go air as much, Mm -hmm. right? So if we're in a 
cabinet and there's black mold down there, we have a better chance of finding out if that's a problem because we're down there. We may agitate the cabinet a bit. We may kind of bump it around, just try to get some things airborne. If we're doing an air sample, we'll also, that same pump that's used in the middle of the room, we can get inner wall cavity tests. So we put a hole in the wall where we think, you know, let's say it's under a window that had water problems and the baseboard looks fine. The carpet's there, it looks fine, but we know the water came through that. Then we'll put that hole in that wall and then we'll put a hose in that wall that the mold sampler will pull that air that's behind the wall. Does that make sense? So there is a place for air samples. The middle of the room, if you're trying to find mold, is not the best way to do it. Most home inspectors we work with, that's where they do it. They're saying, okay, if I have a thousand square feet, I'm going to put many of these guys, all they're doing is, you know, they're doing a home inspection. They're saying, and then the homeowner or the buyer wants a mold inspection. So they'll put air sample in the middle of a thousand square feet. I Mm -hmm. I always hear every thousand square feet, we do another mold test. So they may do that and they'll just put it in like the hallway. And Mm -hmm. so it may come up with mold spores. And then from there, if we're trying to find mold, if we're trying to get rid of any mold, because we have someone that obviously we don't want mold in our house, then at that point we're going through and being more concise. We're going out and looking at, I like swabs better. If I see visible mold, I like tape lifts that Mm -hmm. I can put a piece of tape and just pull that right off and see what it is. Sometimes, you know, we're not going to have it always tested. If we're already going to do a remediation in that room because we can see it, sometimes it's not even worth if we're just going to go do a tape lift unless we want to know what species it is and what kind of mold it is. We don't necessarily have to do it. We know we're going to do the job. Like we're going to get it cleaned up. What we want to do is focus then on getting rid of it and then clearance testing it, make sure it's gone. Here's a question that I get from a lot of people is like, if you're buying a new house, you're on the market and you want to buy a house, what should people be looking for? I want to talk about buying homes and then also students in apartments, right? Because I can't imagine that kids living in these 50-year-old apartments, like they're healthy, right? But if you're a home buyer and you want to get your the house that you want to buy tested, how should you go about testing that? And I know the answer to this because I've had so many clients that are like, I bought an old house and I realized there's mold everywhere and they're sick. Like all of a sudden they have autoimmune diseases within like a year, right? But how can we protect ourselves when we are buying new homes? Because not everyone can just buy a brand new house. Right. That's a good question. If we're going in and looking at a new house, or especially if it's a mold sensitized person, we're not looking for mold. I mean, in the sense that we're not looking for visible mold on everything. Obviously, that's what, I mean, if we see it, we're going to do something about it. What we're looking for are other things like bubbling in paint, any sort of water damage, any discoloration, anything like that. We want to look further into that. Hopefully, we can talk to the owner and find out what they have done in the past, what they know about, what they have seen, and all the historical side of what's happening right in their house or what has happened. And then we just kind of go back through and then we check all the areas with water. And so if you do see staining, well, that's an issue. And likely if that wasn't taken care of, there's a mold problem back there. You have some sort of mold. Some people, it wouldn't bother, you know, depending on how it was dried. But if there's colony growth back there that or any growth, especially on a sensitized individual, we're going to go and kind of peel that back like an onion, set up containment and just kind of go through there to find out what it is. The terrible thing is when it comes to students, like you said, because it is terrible. We live in an area that has two colleges. 
You've got uh-huh. kids all over the place and you've got all these, what we call slum lords, right? They just are just uh-huh. packing kids in there. They don't really care. I can't tell you how many of those we've been to. And it's just like, oh, we'll send our guy in. He comes in with a shop back. He scrubs it off with bleach and gives a thumbs up. Yep, you're good. And we'll be gone. And, or they set up a box fan and say, uh, yeah, we'll leave that here for a couple of days. And, and then mm-hmm. once the carpet's dry and everyone sees, you know, every, what from what everyone can see is dry. They're not looking at the back, you know, back of the walls. They're not looking baseboards behind the baseboards, the sill plates, anything like that. They're just drying what they see. That's another whole issue. And that's hard stuff, especially if you're a sensitized individual trying to go through school and there's mold. Really, there's mold in every house. Let's talk about that really fast because you told me that multiple times and you're like, there's mold in every house and the majority of people can coexist with mold. Is that correct? I love that you shared, uh, we won't mention names, but you said there is an influencer online that uses a lot of fear to scare people into buying his product for like mold testing and remediation and all that. And you were very honest. You were like, there's just a small percentage of people that can't coexist because their bodies can't detox it or people that are really sick and their immune systems can't handle it, right? So we can coexist with mold to a certain extent, or there is an excessive amount of mold. Will people start to get sick? That's a good question. That's more medical side that I don't know. I'd love to know more about. But the numbers we hear are 25% of people have a gene or they have a sensitivity, the ability to be sensitized to mold. Mm -hmm. So that's a good question. And for years, we just always thought it was the dose. If you walk into an area and it's just the dose, how much did you walk into? Well, that wasn't that much. You know, you'd hear that. Well, you just walk into an area that had a little bit of mold. Mm -hmm. Or your room, the, the one I think about most is a little girl who had her bedroom was right next to a window well that kept flooding. And she had heard from other remediation companies, look, there was so little mold there. We took care of it. We pulled it out. It's fine. It's not a problem. And they ended up leaving some mold and it wasn't a ton of mold. And the mold that they got rid of wasn't a ton of mold. And they kept saying, well, it's just, you know, it wasn't enough to make you sick. And so this, it was all about the dose right? And mm-hmm. what's true is it doesn't have to be the dose. It could be the duration they're exposed to it because over time that adds up, right? right? Especially if you have the body and the gene type that says, I can't get rid of this on my own. Right. And it just sits there and just keeps cycling through. And then like you mentioned earlier, it just keeps filling up that bucket to say, right? And then as you know, whatever happens, they get some other problem, even the flu or COVID or something like that. And now anything else, especially environmental, just starts making those symptoms overflow out of that bucket, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so that's the tough thing. It's not necessarily, oh, I have this many spores in my house, so I'm going to be sick. It's I have, I've been exposed to this for this long. And there's no real telling. My experience is there's no really telling. You know, a lot of people say, I've heard the number 200 aspergillus penicillium spores aren't going to bother someone. Mm-hmm. Well, I have clients that I can tell you right now, those counts are bothering Right. So we've got to find a way to get rid of those and to to make it so they don't come back. And in the end, controlling mold is 100 percent about controlling moisture. Control the moisture in your house. You control the mold. I shouldn't say 100 because you do have mold that will get brought in by people. Right. If you work in an unhealthy place, a sick building, we call it sick building syndrome. But if you work there and you keep bringing stuff home with you, that can add mold to your house. So that can add those secondary spores that can bother you over time. Mycotoxins that you're carrying from that. If you have a dog that's out in the grass all the time, comes in and out, in and out. Aspergillus penicillium is found in this, right? It grows really well in the grass. So there's oh. things like that. If you have mulch right next to your house, I mean, mulch is that, right? Molds and mulch. Mold's job is to decay things, right? To eat right. mold. So we need mold. 
but we just don't need it in our house. So. It's interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know my Bible very well. It's been a while since I was in seminary, but there was this thing, I think there's like a Bible story of where someone was sick in the house and it's like recommended, open your windows for three days or something. And the illness, oh, really? I think that's a Bible story or something, but, but basically people are saying like they're opening their home to let out mold basically. And that's why people are sick. So even since Bible times, that was a common practice of like, if someone is strangely ill, open up your window get fresh air, get whatever, dry up whatever is moist there. You know what I mean? Another thing too, that people need to be mindful of is it's kind of like a peanut allergy. Someone eating a little bit of peanuts could kill them. You know, whereas a lot of people, they have peanuts, even though peanuts do have a toxin called aflatoxin, it's a mold. The majority of people don't really have such a large immune response, but then there are people that do. And so another thing to be mindful of is that mold exposure can mimic a myriad of diseases, right? Stomach issues migraines. We know the obvious ones like neurological, but there's autoimmune, there's rheumatoid arthritis, there's gut issues, there's tinnitus, there's muscle weakness, there's all kinds, chronic inflammatory response syndrome that's often triggered by mold exposure. And so the damage from mold within the body is sometimes really hard to trace because not only are the symptoms everywhere and anywhere, in the body, but it's also hard to test blood work wise because a lot of times when you are exposed to mold, it creates a biofilm in the body. And so it's hard to pick up on blood work. And so if you have to find, it's just as important to find a mold literate doctor as it is to find mold literate remediators, right? Who go above and beyond the standard understanding of mold and the destruction of mold and how to test and find mold. So Mike, tell me a little bit more about the use of, you said your number one thing is to go in with a flashlight. Number two is like testing the sites. And then three, you use CHAP to find areas that can't be found. How often does that happen where people, where it's so hard to find the spot? How often does that happen? You know, it happens more often than I thought it would. And it happens. Mm-hmm. And so many times when it's happened, I'm like, I broke my dog. There's no all <laughs> back here. I'll give you an example. We had a house condo and the client called us and said, Hey, we had a home inspection done. It came up really high for stachybotrys and 600 count in the air of stachybotrys is super high, especially when it was taken in a hallway of a little condo, a little three bedroom condo. And we're like, wow, what is that? So I'm like, that's super strange to me. So we went in because the home inspector said, look, it's empty. I've walked through this house. There's not really that many areas that it could be. So we went in both sides of the tub have what we call a teenager baseboard, right? Where the teenager doesn't know how to put the curtain up. And so as they shower, it just goes right down onto that baseboard and has a problem. And we're like, that's not what the numbers are showing us, right? That's not going to be the cause of the 600 count in this hallway. We went, ran chap. He found some behind some cabinets right next to the refrigerator. We're like, still not enough. And then he starts hitting in these bedrooms on the corners. And before we went through this, these bedrooms, we noticed we went through the flashlight first, right? And we noticed uh, a little bit of water standing under the window. We're like, okay, probably a problem here. So let's just note that. Then we saw that there was rusty hardware on the blinds. And we're like, that's strange. And what's making it that wet? The windowsills look pretty good. They didn't look bad, like they weren't bloated or anything like that. We came around, we noticed the hardware on the closet doors were rusted. We're like, okay, this room gets humid somehow. And so it's got to be under that window. 
right? That's how we, you know, our brains kind of worked. We ran chap, he hit, we ran him from, and we walk in the room, we ran him from the left to the right. And so he went to the first corner and sat up on that corner. And we're like, okay, that's weird. So maybe he's getting some odor from the window, which is totally fine. Odor does what it does, right? And on hot days, it's going up. On cold days, it's going down. We're like, okay, he's probably not wrong. So we ran him past the window. And as he went past the window, kind of went on alert, didn't really indicate like we thought. We thought he'd pass it and then come back. And he passes it, goes to this next corner and just sets up on it and mm-hmm. set up on it. Like, I mean, I could not pull him off even after I, you know, was like, okay, because we don't always want to reward him if we, if we don't know if it's right. What have I done to break you? So we kept trying to bring <laughs> it to the window and he just would go right by it. And I'm like, okay, well, he's wrong, right? In my mind, he's wrong. So then we go through the other, the next wall over is a closet. He hits right on that. I'm like, okay, well, there might be something to this. Not Still not giving him the credit he needed. Then we went to the next room. And so when we got permission, we said, look, we're going to take this baseboard off. We were concerned, we're concerned about under this window, you have a little bit of water staining. We pull back the pad and the carpet. We can see on the tax strip that there's a little bit of water standing under the window. And then that's it. We go to both corners, no water standing on the tax strip, no rust on the tax strip. That's another thing we do to, you know, I mean, that we're looking for, right? Has this carpet been wet? And sometimes if it hasn't been wet long, you're looking for like just rust stains from the tax strip. Nothing there in that corner. I'm like, ah, so we took the baseboard off because we were cutting under the window, cut under the window, a little bit of mold, obviously enough to remediate enough to do something about it. And I'm like, Hey guys, cut under that baseboard. So don't cut above it. Just cut under the baseboard and see what chap was telling us. And he cut, you know, their baseboard is six inches. We cut a four inch tall piece off and they took out the insulation exterior wall, look at it. And it's just black right there. Wow. I'm like, well, I think you found something. I'm like, okay. I'm like, let's go up two feet. And then we go up four feet and it keeps going. It went from wow. the floor to the ceiling to the next unit above them. Oh my gosh. That was something we would have missed because we pulled back the tax strip. Mm -hmm. You couldn't see it. There's no water source there, right? And it was that somehow there was a roof problem. Couldn't see it from the outside because the roof is rock. I mean, the side, Mm -hmm. the walls are rock and brick. So nothing real obvious, nothing obvious at all. It had rotted enough out that the OSB was, I could push my finger through it. That's insane. That's kind of the things that are like, okay, that's why chap is the best, right? Well, and it makes me wonder how many situations or homes or condos are like that, where it's so invisible. You know what I mean? It's hidden. And so that's why chap is such an an amazing, amazing resource to have because these things are hidden from us. It's kind of like EMFs. You know what I mean? It's like a ghost there, but you can't see it. I had a couple. It's so cute because whenever I share stories, there's always like someone that's like a little triggered. I had a couple people DM me and they're like, is that healthy for the dog? <laughs> it doesn't about mold. Oh, that's a good question. He just went to the vet last week and I said, hey, I need to get him tested. And he sent me over something from the CDC saying that there's no proven cases of mold. I'm like, well, I still need to make sure he's you know like good. There's nothing I need to worry about. He said, just like a human, it would show up in symptoms. So how is he feeling? How is he, you know... How is he reacting? How is he being? So, but that is, uh, we get hit up on that all the time. And then I also then hear stories from a lot of people saying, yeah, my dog was sick because of mold. And my guess is, my guess, it's very similar to humans. Yeah. I mean, I can go stick my nose in black mold, it, even right. though I'm not, you know what I mean? I don't have that marker that I can't detox, mm-hmm. right? But I wouldn't go stick my nose. And so if we we're coming up on a house and I see, like we got called to a, a house in Orem, or not a house, but a pool, like a common area, condominium pool area, pool house. And it had visible mold up three feet 
Wow. It's not coming out for that, right? There's Mm -hmm. no reason to expose them to to anything like that. This is for the things that we can't see. He can't see. He can only smell. So we watch him. We, you know, he sees his vet regularly. We just want to make sure that it's not a a deal for him neither, because that is a concern of ours as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. In my mind, I was just like, well, dogs like eat their own feces. (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. And and they'll eat carcasses and they'll eat all kinds of stuff. It is a lot less. I do think that you have some dogs that are have been bred in a, such a way that they might be more sensitive to things like that. Mm. This dog, it hasn't shown any sort of stress to it, any sort of health problem. It's right. so far, it's something we obviously are concerned about. But Well, and you said like he's smelling things that are on the other side of the wall. He's not putting his nose in black mold and sniffing spores and mycotoxins into his system. I would almost uh, argue with that. He is smelling those. He is putting those into his system. Oh, okay. But just like we are, right? Just like we are. The way that we are exposed to it. Right. There are mold dogs out there. They kind of give a bad name. And I hear a lot of inspectors that don't like mold dogs. And they're that. I've heard them say, well, you're exposing the dog to it. You're stuffing their nose in it all day. And the fact is, and then they say, well, and I can find more mold than they can. And I can say that about pretty any, much any, exp- most inspectors out there, right? Like, and not that they're putting their face in it, but that you're going to miss stuff, right? And you could miss stuff. The difference between us and a lot of these mold dogs, a lot of some mold dogs, they were got a personal dog that they wanted to have in their house because they have a sensitivity to it. And mm-hmm. so they brought those in and then they offered as a service. Well, they're not inspectors. They're not doing that whole side or some of them are, you know? And so not that they're getting, I mean, I guess they're giving us a bad name, some, uh, you know, dog can mold dogs, but it's not intentional, I think, right? They got the dog and now they want to help people, right? But they didn't go out and get certified on how to find mold. They're not going in and looking first. They're just relying everything on the dog. And if I relied everything on the dog, I would miss things. And I'll tell you an example of that is we did a job right when I got back with chat from training and this house, it had mold that we could see. And so we came up on that. We chap showed before that there was mold before that. So we're like, okay, let's do this. Cause rather than go throw his nose in it, let's clean this up and then find out. But we walked that entire basement before we did that kind of looking for mold. He showed us one or two walls in the back of the basement. And then once we cleaned up this huge problem, that was an obvious problem. Then we came back in and we ran him and he kept hitting on every wall. And I'm just, there it goes again, right? I broke my dog. You know, he was brand new. This was the first house he did after training. Mm -hmm. And I just thinking, this is the worst. I can't believe I just, this dog, I already broke him. We went through and as we went through and remediated all this, every single wall with the exception of two walls had mold. He could not tell that initially when we had this huge infestation in this area, Mm -hmm. one side of that basement, right? And Mm -hmm. it turned out that the house had been flooded twice in September and August. We were coming in in, let's see, that would have been February. And the guy had done so much to hide it. He put new baseboards on the wall or on the walls. He even replaced some of the door jams, not just the door, the whole door jam to hide. He had it. And again, he would miss if I only relied on chap, I would have gone in there, looked at these things, pointed out a couple of areas and left. But Mm -hmm. because we did the remediation, cleaned up that area, then we brought him in and levels were low enough that he could then start showing us other areas. If that makes sense. 
Yeah, it does. Mike, I'm so grateful for companies like you that are mold and mycotoxin literate and who are really passionate about what you do. And like you're mindful of the sensitive person. Yes, that sensitive person is only a small percentage of people, but I'm grateful that you are conscientious of those people and you do a job so superbly well that helps and benefits those people versus just getting a job done and, you know, getting your money, so to say, you know. So thank you so much for everything that you guys do. Thank you for showing everyone on my stories how you go about and doing it. I'm sure a ton of people are going to reach out because a lot of people, they do get sick from mold. And what's crazy is like, we live in Utah, which is really dry and it's still a problem. I can't imagine all the coastal places like Florida and Texas and all those places where there's a lot of moisture. And so how can people get a hold of you? What areas do you service? Yeah. Tell us more about contact details. Yeah. So we're on Instagram, chat mold detection dog. You're linked to it. I got it. Uh, at least you're... We'll put it in our show notes. Yeah. Put it in the show notes. And then the name of our company is 24 Hour Flood Response. And just look us up where we do a lot of work in Salt Lake, Utah, Wasatch, Summit counties. And depending on the job and what we're looking for, especially if it's a sensitized individual, we've gone farther for that. So I can't guarantee it all the time, but we have gone farther because we know that it's just hard to find anyone who does this side of things. We went down to Arizona for a job. Uh, A sensitized individual said, hey, look, I mean, I said, we don't normally travel like that. And they said, well, what would it take to have you come down? And Mm -hmm. so we went, ran down there and took a look and helped them get their new house, find where there might be some mold there, and then give them kind of a an idea on how to get rid of that. So mm-hmm. it's not something where you're normally going out of a long way, but we do have the ability to do that if necessary. And would you be open? Like, let's say there's a lot of people, let's say from Arizona or California, and like, would you create like a list? Let's say there's like 10 people from yeah. California and you're like, yep, as soon as I get 10 people signed up, we'll go out to that area and test the 10 homes or something. So people should still reach out to you, talk to you, and maybe you can refer out other resources too. So you guys, even if you're not local, reach out to Mike and inquire because he really does care and he's very, very thorough. And I saw it firsthand. I've learned so much from you. So thank you, Mike. And listeners, make sure that you reach out if you have any questions because they definitely want to help you guys. Mike, before we end this episode, do you have any words of advice for everyone out there right now listening? Well, let me say this. One thing, that I don't think it's said enough is a lot of times when you have a sensitized individual, it doesn't mean their spouse is sensitive, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so then there's the whole battle with someone thinking you're not dealing with what they think you're dealing with. You're not really sick. It can't be mold. And I feel bad for you because I, I see that so often. And I, my the heart hurts for you because it's I see the struggle. And you know it's easier when it's a parent dealing with a kid because somehow some more compassion there. But sometimes when it's with a spouse, it's like kind of, you just get the spouse that just kind of rolls their eyes and says, yeah, Yeah. okay, this is what we're doing, huh? And that's just hard. I want you to know that's a tough position to be in. And so in our mind, this is a team effort, right? Let's get together. Let's figure out how to find the mold, clean the mold, have someone come in behind us, make sure we got it. And then if we can get that environment clean, then you're not constantly being exposed to it. Then your body can heal faster. Sometimes we have the person move out of the house many times. That's not even us saying it. It's they have to get out of the house, get out of that toxic environment so their body can heal enough to then come back in and do it. So I'm glad that you said that because 
there are tons of patients that we deal with that their personalities change. You know what I mean? Like they don't feel like the same person until they've moved out of their apartment or their home and they start to get of themselves back. Like we see that all the time where they're like, I'm not the same mother. I'm not the same spouse. Like, I wish I could have the old me back. Yeah. You know, It's like their brain is being hijacked. Their body's being hijacked. Another thing too, you can be exposed to mold and your body is handling it not well, but it's doing the job well enough until you get something like COVID, right? That just completely wipes out your immune system. And then that damn wall of like, just managing mold completely breaks, right? And now all of a sudden you are mold sensitive. And I'll put in air quotes, technically sensitive before, but your immune system has been strained so much to the point where it now is. And so just keep that in mind, right? It sometimes it takes like getting some massive viral infection, you know, like COVID or Epstein-Barr or cytomegalovirus or rotavirus, or there's thousands of viruses, right? Or getting an infection like Lyme, where your body just like your immune system just breaks all of a sudden. And now you are mold sensitive and you have to go back and undo damage and unburden the immune system from not just mold, but the viruses and the bacterial infections and all the other things, right? So be mindful of those scenarios if that is you, because those are hard to find. It's hard for doctors to understand those scenarios. It's hard for spouses to understand those scenarios, but they do happen. Like we see it all the time. So you're not crazy. You know, something did change in your body and it can be fixed. You just need to find literate people that have dealt with this and know how to help you. And so, Mike, I'm so glad that you ended on that note because I want people to know they're not crazy. We've seen it. People should know we've seen it. And not everyone has to move out of their house. They don't all have to take out all their belongings and get rid of any carpet and get rid of everything they own, right? I mean, sometimes you watch enough of these things online and you start believing there's just no possible way without getting rid of everything. That's not everybody. And like you said, you know, you get to the point where your body can then handle it again, right? And so we live in a toxic world, right? And so our bodies were made to take care of these. Some people have things that will disposition to struggle with that. But the fact is, once that gets down to a safe level, then your body can take care of that. And so we saw a woman that she was so cranky and just so just rude and on edge. And we came in and did her house and cleaned her house, got rid of the mold, and she lost, I don't know, 70 or 80 pounds. It was not wow. a person six months later when we saw her. I mean, it was night and day, just from cranky to the most upbeat, fun. Um, just, we're like, who is this? Mm-hmm. I mean, what happened here? So let me just reassure you, there is hope. There's ways to do it. One thing that we do is we know it's not cost effective to do everything that may need to be done. Mm-hmm. So we'll come in and look and say, okay, you live in this environment. Here are the top 10, th- or here are the 10 things we see wrong with the house. Well, these three over here make up 80% of the problem. So let's get rid of these three things. And then if we have someone that's non, not sensitive in the house, let's team up. That person could come in and we can teach them how to do the secondary damage control, right? To get rid of that. We can teach them how to do these things. Fact is, there's a good chance that you deal with this, at least in some degree, for the rest of your life. And it doesn't make sense to keep calling us every time anything happens, right? Hopefully we can then get you to the point where you guys can say, hey, we need to do this treatment to the house and to clean this, or we need to do this or that. And we work with the individuals that are in the house that may not be sensitized to be able to do some of these things that are morbidly expensive. Amazing. Mike, thank you so much. Thank you for 
letting listeners know that and for seeing those people because they feel ill and cranky. And oftentimes they're just told like, well, just think happy thoughts. And it's way more complex than that. It's like, no, your brain's literally on fire. Your body's on fire. A happy thought isn't going to, that's like, you know, trying to empty the ocean with a bucket. It's not going to do it. So we hope you learned something today and enjoyed this episode and feel far more empowered about your healing journey and how to take control of it with this information. And we will catch you next week. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast. 